Like, the 2020 election, when I was like, I'm going to vote for Joe Jorgensen, I was simultaneously told I was taking votes from Biden and that I was taking votes from Trump. Based. Like, yeah. <laughs> first of all, based. But which is base it? Gun, but, like, which is it? You know? Like, and just, like, have a candidate that says, vote for this person just because you don't like the other people. That's so, tr- that's what Trump was, though. No, no, no. Just be like, no, more explicit. We should have a <laughs> throwaway <laughs> candidate. Like, explicitly the throwaway. Now, that's the opposite of what you, we should be doing. We should be a viable political option, not the spoilers. That literally... <laughs> I'm, I'm entering my doomer phase. I'm sorry. There's a, there's like, <laughs> I, I infected you with the doomerism. I, I ranted about AU, and now you're like, oh, I'm yeah. a doomer, too. <laughs> Welcome back to another SFL Banter Podcast. If you didn't catch our latest episode, episode two, that was on what college students think about politics. This is episode three. Today, we're going to be talking about coalition building, i.e. getting along or not getting along with other groups on campus and in the broader political community. Today, I got three more exciting SFL leaders with me. Um, if you guys can introduce yourselves, my name is Ethan Yang. I've been in SFL since 2018. I'm currently in law school. Uh, you guys already know a little bit. Are you guys already know enough about me? Hi, I'm Jeff. Uh, I am the recently appointed regional coordinator of the Mid Atlantic Region. I've been in SFL since uh, last summer, summer 2022, and I am excited to be on the podcast. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Martin Branowski. I'm the uh, free market environmentalism program manager. I've been in SFL for four years. Hi, my name is Suad Muradov. I have been to ESFL Azerbaijan till 2021, and then I transferred to North America, and now I'm in. Uh, I'm representing SFL in Syracuse University. Syracuse. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I've actually never met you before, so nice to meet you. Nice to meet and Martin, you. funny story. You and I actually. Well, you you were your undergrad, and I studied there for study abroad. And yep. um, that was in London, Queen Mary University. So I was wondering if you can maybe start, because uh, let me, for the audience, all I got to say is that it was an interesting experience. <laughs> um, Morton was kind of to welcome me to his SFL chapter at Queen Mary, but if you can maybe start us off a little bit about sure. what went on there. Sure, absolutely. So I um, went to Queen Mary University of London uh, in 2018. And for those of you who don't know Queen Mary University, which I don't blame you, because no one does, uh, it is considered uh, the most socialist university in the UK. Um, we had when I joined, uh, when I when I started going there, uh, there were five different socialist societies, which is like the clubs in in England. And there was <laughs> from there to the right, there was uh, the conservatives, and that was it. So um, we decided to. Fill that gap. Uh, I in my like first week of of school, we uh, my friend and I we started Liberty Society, uh, which uh, then got affiliated with SFL. But interestingly, um, we got joined uh, by the wonderful Ethan Young here, uh, your uh, your brilliant host, uh, somewhere along the way in our first year, and uh, I was already familiar with SFL at that time. Um, but I've been reaching out to, uh, to SFL to um, get some stuff uh, going, but didn't have too much success. And then, SF- then uh, Ethan came to our meetings, and we started chatting, and he uh, introduced me to SFL, and that's how I, how I actually started. So, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it's still, that society is still going, which I'm very proud of, uh, but definitely has been an uphill battle in the first 
few months, uh, most of our meetings have been up, uh, uh, attended by two to three people. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. But but then we, uh, we 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 started to hit our stride with like fifteen, and that is already very good for a political society in the UK. Um, to have like every every week 10-15 people coming and our main point was because we knew that we are you know at the, at the university that is very social it's very left-leaning uh, unwelcoming to the ideas of, of liberty um, we decided to just welcome people with, with open arms and uh, have liberty oriented discussions uh, but the priority was uh, to bring in people and discuss stuff with them. And I think that tying to, to the topic of today's conversation, having conversations and, and showing uh, to people what liberty is, um, that it's not scary, it's not Margaret Thatcher. Um, That's pretty based, though. I like Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like two people do. Uh, and you're not, and Ethan is one of them. And you're not British. We're economics. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, you know, people don't really remember her economic policies for lifting people out of poverty, but more for, you know, beating uh, miners in the streets. It's pretty based. Well, I mean, yeah, she was part of the definition of that. Mark, the, the miners were Irish. They deserved it. It's no, okay. it was Scottish. Oh, okay. Even better. Even better. They, we don't... Yeah, no, no one gives a shit. Uh, yeah, quote-unquote Irish people. The, yeah. Irish people. No, no, the, the Irish was later that she was beating up. But that was when she sent paramilitary death squads into Ireland. Yeah, I mean, someone has to. Come on, so. you fucking hands. <laughs> but now it's, now it's fine, more or less. Sorry. Oh yeah, that was that was. Uh, you guys aren't allowed to own kitchen knives, right? Yeah, yeah. So in the UK, um, you can't have a knife that is longer than like two inches or something like that because there are just so many stabbings. So that's like talking about um, what would happen if you like. Just because you don't have guns doesn't mean that you don't have violence. Oh, mate, got a knife. <laughs> Whoa! Got a license for that knife. Got a license for that knife, mate. <laughs> I, so I lived in a pretty dangerous neighborhood in London. Yeah, it's, it's in Whitechapel, right? The East End. Uh, yeah. So That's it, where Jack the Ripper it, happened. Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, Jack so the Ripper used knives. There you go. He did That's use knives. knives. That's knives. true. Maybe if they had just banned knives, Maybe Jack the Ripper. common sense yes. knife control. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's what they are trying to do. Um, I mean, murder is banned, after all. Uh, but yeah, you can't be murdered without your consent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But actually, you know with that. your consent, you can't, because euthanasia is illegal. Mm, so that's true. Um, mm. Damn, so I can't be murdered with or without my consent. Yeah. Early 1984. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I lived in in, in Tottenham, and. Every, every every other week, uh, we just like wake up to news of hey, someone stopped at our uh, at our tube station, or you would walk walk down the street and be like, oh, why is that? Why why are there suddenly so many policemen walking in that one direction? And then it turns out that it was. <laughs> That it was like a uh, hunt for some guy that was running around stabbing people. So that's just life in London. <laughs> that is so, that's so British, too. Someone just yes. running around, like, stabbing people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the craziest one I heard was, like, acid attacks. People started <laughs> yes. Throwing, yeah, it's so, like they banned knives, and then it's like, oh, I'm just going to toss some acid on people now. And yeah. It's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. 
You know, the um, car attached to people are just ramming cars into people in the UK, right? Yeah, I mean, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So, like, if they take, if God takes your knife, He cans you acid. Mm, free black markets, right there. If life get, when life gives you lemons, use them for acid attacks. Yes, yeah, exactly. econ lesson here. All right, that's enough about. <laughs> that's, that's enough about. That's more. That's more about London than an American needs to hear. That's right. That's very true. Yeah, it's okay. Go back to bed. The UK right. doesn't exist. Yes. <laughs> like I'm. I'm begging for that every single day. All right, let's, let's talk about uh, real schools now. <laughs> <laughs> real schools? You're gonna go to my school? Which Thank is, you. Schools in America. Just, These are real schools. Reminder: Ethan was was there just for a semester abroad. I was there for three years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened to the fourth year? Oh, in the UK you have three years. Cause, really? Yeah. Cause they realize how shitty it is. So it's like, <laughs> like we gotta get them out of here. We don't have the. There is no formative year. You just. You're like I'm just throw you right there. Like I'm going back to Poland. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no, UK was still better. Uh, no, actually no. If I were to move, if I were to move now, I, I would I would go to to Poland rather than rather than the UK. Have you heard the I Love Poland song? No. <laughs> is that a Lil Yachty song? No, it's the it's the one on TikTok where the guy like finds the Polish flag and everything. Oh. <laughs> I need to show it to you guys after. This is really funny. Anyway. Jeff, you want to... Yes. So you, you can't really talk about real schools because my school is literally named American University. <laughs> it sounds fake. <laughs> um, it sounds really, really fake. But American University, kind of like Queen Mary's, is like hailed as being the most liberal school in America. Uh, it really shows we do not have like any conservative presence on campus and for, for, for the record I'm not a conservative like I am a social liberal and libertarian but there's like very very little left very little anything that isn't left-wing presence on campus like, very little right less very very little yeah very little right-wing presence on campus because we had we had AU Marxists we have young democratic socialists of America we have the sunrise movement we have AU Democrats uh, we have AU college Republicans I don't know that they do anything I've never seen them hold an event here. They've held, held maybe one event, um, and like I've sent them emails and they just don't reply to my emails. So I'm not convinced they're a real group. <laughs> but I do know all of the AU College Republicans, and they're like all the like NatCon types who like shell really hard for Trump, um, which is really interesting. We actually, interestingly enough. We had someone on our campus, uh, a former student who uh, was an intern for Lauren Boebert, of all people. Who? Uh, how did that go? How, how did that go? Uh, bad. Was, yeah, bad. Yeah, he introduced. Um, yeah, he, he introduced legislation uh, encouraging the university to teach creationism uh, in its. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, so yeah, there's very little right wing presence on Americans' campus, and if it is, it's like very far right. Like. Um, we have a YAF chapter, which is Young Americans for Freedom, which is basically... They, they claim to be conservative libertarian. They're not. They're really not. And part of that, part of, like, AU's hostility towards right-wing politics, I think, might be some, like, lo like a little bit of lasting trauma. Because back in, I think it was 2016, uh, our... I think it was our YAL chapter, which no longer exists, invited Milo Yiannopoulos to campus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was, idea. that was a big, 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 big scandal. And that chapter got shut down, and AU has been very hostile towards right-wing politics ever since. And, like, AU has always been pretty left-wing, because DC's very left-wing. DC's, like, very, very heavily, they block vote Democrat. Um, so at AU, it's a little hard to find common ground, because everyone at AU is convinced that anything, like, right of Hillary Clinton is, like, evil and 
awful and populist and fascist and that stuff. Like, we put up a flyer for an event, uh, like our What is Libertarianism event, uh, like a semester ago, and it got vandalized, saying, like, libertarianism is classist, racist, ableist, like, (laughs) this was our first event on campus, and I guarantee these people had never even, Mm -hmm. like, met us before, and we're, like, straight up vandalizing our posters. We've had our table shoved by people while we were out tabling. And it's like the same guy every time. It's some serious. It's some serious fucking audacity. It's the same guy who comes and like shoves our table. Um, it is really hard on AU's campus if you're anything other than even like like a like a straight ticket Democrat to to like really fit in in the political sphere. Like our professors are very 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 left wing and they're very open about how left wing they are. One of my professors straight up like told us like yeah like I am like I'm I like study this and so I am left wing. Like, almost positioning it as the academic position is to be left-wing. Like, to be an academic, to be intelligent, is to be left-wing. And how about the assignments? The assignments? Very, 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 very... uh, I mean, we basically... There was a a class where where she basically shat all over the Chicago School of Economics. Because... And, like, blaming, uh, blaming, like, neoliberalism for, like, the rise of income inequality... And blaming like like blaming neoliberalism for uh, destroying like Latin American economies after they transferred from the command economy model to like the like neoliberal market model, which is so deeply untrue. Especially if you look at like the reason a lot of Latin American economies are trash is because they've nationalized a crap ton of their sectors. Like Venezuela nationalized their oil sector, and then there was an oil crisis, and uh oh. Now people don't have jobs, and their main source of income is gone. Yeah. Now their currency is worth nothing. Um, and it's it's difficult at AU. Like, I know I just said that, but, like, it feels very, very left-wing. And, like, especially at a college where, like, I've been handed a club that has, like, a total of three people, uh, it's hard to, like, make that bipartisanship. And we do have a bipartisan club on campus who I have been working with, and they're great. And they're, it was formed by a Democrat and a Republican. And there is genuine, like, interest for bipartisanship. But the issue is that, like, a lot of people at AU are not interested in bipartisanship. They're very interested in living in their echo chamber, which I think is an issue with academia in general, unfortunately. Yeah. Academia is just all about that echo chamber. Especially, like, with young people, because young people really do not like hearing opinions they don't agree with. Because, like, I can speak, and which is unfortunate, because, like, young people, especially, like, young people in the political sphere need to hear opinions that they don't agree with. And they need to hear stuff that they think is wrong. Um, but, like, every young person who has an opinion on politics is convinced that their opinion is the correct one. Yeah. And so, especially in a university that's such an echo chamber, anything dissenting feels like an attack. Mm-hmm. And that really sucks. Because, like, I'm just a libertarian trying to make it out in the world, trying to have a club where people attend my meetings mm. so I can show them the fountainhead and eat pizza with them. And you're literally Hitler, though. I'm literally <laughs> Hitler. I'm literally Hitler because I want to teach people uh, about why guns aren't actually bad and about ending the drug war and, like, why libertarianism and the free market economics can help the environment. Like, we have, like, three different environmental clubs at... Uh, American University, and none of them are interested in talking to me about ec- in, about environment about the environment or environmental economics. I don't know why. I mean, I do know why, but like, I don't know why. 
it like it sucks and it, it's very it sounds way bleaker than like Martin's like description of Queen Mary's and that's just because like the groundwork hasn't really been done at AU in the same way it has at Queen Mary's and I'm hoping to get that done but it is very very much an uphill battle first of all I would like to bring out the same po uh, point that Jeff mentioned so uh I so that's not a long time that I'm, I'm here in the U.S. And I already see how divided this academia is. Like, um, so first of all, you either never come across anyone who is conservatively or, let's say, libertarian, uh, who, who is trying to express their views and who are also libertarians. So you, you usually either find someone who is socialist or communist talk about uh, Elon Musk trying to, you know, exploit workers, but you never find someone who are talking about uh, how how you can create that positive sum value to the world. So, and 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 what what I was astonished by uh, just recently, like last month, literally, when my my friend just told me. You know, Swat, uh, we don't talk about it here. And I'm like, wow, wow, what do you mean you don't talk about it? This is a public university and, um, you know, you have all the rights. You have, you, ha you have the First Amendment, so why not? And she's like, you know, uh, when I speak about it, uh, they will give me lower grades. Literally, I mean, uh, the professors are, are there, and I'm like, is it all? She's like, no, administration would be like, you know, uh, we, we can't fund you anymore, you have to keep uh, finding other sources, maybe your, you know, pro-libertarian uh, clubs could help you, support you with your studies, and she's like, no, I, I'm definitely hushed, and that's... That, that's where that's awful actually that's something I would hear most probably in my country which is like post-socialist country like we you so Azerbaijan is a country that lived under Soviet Union 70 years can you imagine 70 years before that Azerbaijan was actually the first Muslim nation that granted votes for women before US and Switzerland did and and look at us now. What, what, what do we have here? So we have even today, like 30 years after the collapse of the Union, we have almost all entire like economy run by state, uh, so the oligarchs, let's say state-sponsored people. So uh, today when they are talking about billionaires in the U.S. that are like uh, almost equalizing them to Russian uh, oligarchs, I don't understand this because these are like self-made people. They are not getting somewhere from like stealing from someone. So like the way it should usually it usually works in oligarchy. I I would say is that so uh, so that you usually either use uh, people's uh, resources to get to the power and to to make money. Here it's not like that, and they they're still equalizing it to it. So one uh, my personal experience with the uh, with the uh, protests in, in Azerbaijan was really an awful one but I must m mention that one so uh, I studied in ADA University that was a local university and I already knew about uh, SFL back then and uh, so the, the SFL George actually introduced me to 
uh, to the uh, organization, but I already knew about uh, the movement because I knew history and I, I had like common sense in economics. So I knew the positive sum game possible, not like some people who believe you can either steal or you are not stealing. So it's not like uh, black and white. You steal or you're stolen from. Yeah. Yes, like you are a victim or you are, you are the person who will get advantage of you. So anyway, so the thing is, um, we once had like clubs that were in solidarity. Uh, so I like... Uh, Notice one issue that uh, people deposited their money into banks, which is normal. Uh, but the problem is during COVID, when our government had had been running a collapse, like you know, people are just uh, tr taking their money off the banks. Bankrupt. They they like uh, intentionally stopped the working principle of four banks they uh, like frozen their assets and they took their licenses and then what happens is that uh, people's deposit money is there mm -hmm. and what happens is they're like you can get them in five or six years I mean that was crazy but but no one can really t talk it out because they fear they fear like that the government and you know I would wait five years but I was a student, I had nothing to lose to be say. And what we did is like we organized like people into the uh, WhatsApp group and then I realized you can really do changes even in autocratic countries. Like what, what we did, like we were like five, 10, 15, and then we were 300. Like you are calling people on to, okay, let's uh, gather around the central bank every, I don't know, every Friday or so. So like three people show up, another week you have five people, and someday when you have hundred people, the policeman cannot really crush that mm -hmm. crowd, and then like they start acting. Like we got that issue to be reported to the constitutional court and received our money in three months, mm -hmm. which which was insane. Like that's very impossible looking thing. But you know. Uh, but but that is the that why why we did that because we usually uh, people really believe that uh, government should be taking care of this stuff but it's actually the people it's actually should be the bottom up approach that we should apply I think that's what uh, actual drives economies it's what drives everything in the society you should not expect like top down approach on everything actually they respond to you so. Even in autocratic governments, you can get response from the people, you know, so, I mean, from the government uh, responding to the people's anger. So, uh, so it, it all comes down to the basic common sense. But mm -hmm. some uh, people later, again, disintegrated this group that we had. And again, they stick to their ideology of, you know, uh, no, no, you know, markets don't work, you know, again, uh, yeah, this could work once or twice, but it will not next time. So uh, I am firm believer that uh, governments are, are, are they, they must be like limited in their scope regarding to the control. And the lesser the government is, the more room is for the people, I believe. So. Um, so that, that that should be basic sense in like economics, society, and and political party partisanship. I mean, everywhere, not only in, in the U.S. 
Anyway, yeah. I want to refocus this conversation on our original topic, which is essentially diving into building those coalitions mm -hmm. or the lack of, or maybe not building those coalitions, maybe just being angry at one another, right? So yeah. I guess to start my experience at Trinity was essentially, I think there should be a general disclaimer that, of course, everyone's happy to work with other groups that they can find common ground on. I think that's a pretty uncontroversial point that if you have a common topic like police reform, work with the college Democrats, if you're going to do gun control, like work with the Republic, that's like pretty common sense, right? I feel like the more the more innovative point I can add is I feel like there's a caveat is like these part of these um, coalitions depend on the relationships between the leaders themselves. Well, let me get more into that in the sense that if you actually have bad relationships, I my school like we at my school we basically just ended up only working with the Republicans um, because those are the people that we just didn't hate, right? We of course we have plans. Yeah, exactly. Like well, of course we had plans to work with the Democrats and the Socialists. Like we love to do that. And in fact, before like all this all the stuff I'm about to refer to just went down, we actually had we started a political council. The Libertarians were the main drivers of creating a Trinity College political council, bringing together Democrats and Republicans, and you know, like having conversations and whatnot. Like, everyone's happy to do that. I feel like most people like doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. The reason why when I graduated, we only ended up working with the Republicans and were like aggressively only doing a lot of right-wing issues was because the lefties on campus attacked one of our members and like Brandon was a racist and there's this whole, there's basically like a whole scandal at my college specifically that created, that basically poisoned the well for any further collaboration. And so we went from like wanting to work with everybody, wanting to like spread our values in the most mutual way possible to screw you, the right, well, we're only working with the conservatives and we, you know, we hate the left and the left hates us too and we're not going to bother with that, right? And the only time, the only time I ever worked with the Democrat since the incident, the Churchill, uh, Churchill Institute incident, you can kind of, you can Google that, it'll come up, was um, this, the president of the Trinity College Democrats was like a colleague of mine, you know, he's a really civil dude. And so that's the only one we, we got him to come out to like one event. That was the one time post-Churchill incident um, that we ever worked with the left on any issue. So I feel like everyone's always happy to work with the other side, but another important caveat is a campus dynamics relationship between leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think something that has been uh, very useful for us um, as uh, when I was in Liberty Society was that we uh, managed to um, make pretty good relations with the uh, students' union. And I, I know that's something that um, liberty-oriented groups always have issues with. Uh, they are often at odds with, the, with, with their students' unions. However, if you... Like, and, and it is likely that at the beginning like, they are going to be pretty uh, on, at odds. But I think that there is an, an avenue to show to, to others and it takes time and it is hard to do and it does require some personal relations it's much harder to do if you don't have that in um but but it is possible to to through that uh change people's minds in them uh, like they won't agree with you but at least they will accept you as not an awful person or like a person that is sane and can be reasoned with someone who you can have relations with someone who is not going to you know you are not a you are not a leaper anymore and um and so i think that something that is important is to uh, build that relations like it's much easier to like yeah we talk a lot and, and we we had that come up with all of our testimonials at the beginning that there is an echo chamber and that it's 
reinforcing that same ideals again and again in academia and universities, etc. And um, it's hard to break through into it, but we have to break through into it. And uh, the way to do so is you talk to people. You And you don't talk to them, like you don't approach them and be like, hey, you know that minimum wage is bullshit, right? <laughs> no, you, you talk with them as people about the topics that you have in school, that you um, have something in, you have that something in common with them, or you, for example, they had something interesting to say in class. You would like to talk with them about that. They, they for example, they said something you disagree with, but you think that it makes some logical logical sense. Like, and and I think that that's how we should uh, approach uh, others. And it, it, of course, there are going to always be people who are pundits for the sake of punditing, uh, like the, the the guy that you just mentioned that would break your tables. Like, yeah. I don't think that that is a material for a friend. <laughs> uh, but you have someone at school who is a, for example, you are talking about criminal justice. And you uh, have a left-winger who, for example, is in DC, DSA, but makes good points on criminal justice. And you can always talk to them that, hey, I, I think what you said is, is correct. Let's, let's chat further about, about that. I, and, and then you, you show that, hey, you are not insane. Uh, you are someone who has some common ideals, and you, you also mentioned that that Ethan that yeah, like we know that we can talk to these people about that, to, to these people about that. But I don't think we should only talk to them when we want to do an event with them. Uh, we should talk with them as people and uh, build the relations from from there. And I think that as libertarians, we are much more based here at building relationships yes brilliant. <laughs> there's a reason there's a lot of libertarian neckbeard <laughs> yes it's kind of true yeah um and and so uh we we should really open ourselves up and step off our uh, high horse and understand that uh, policy is happening by in, in you know over lunch right like you, you have to meet with people, we have to talk with people, and uh, we, we really need to do more of that, because otherwise we are just going to keep being outside of that bubble. We have to break through into that bubble in order to break it. Mm. I want to move the conversation along, so I'll just end this note by stating that what actually did work for me when it came to finally actually getting past some of those, the nastiness left by the Churchill incident at Trinity, and what created like a nonpartisan grouping of people that would always come to events, was I think people don't like labels. Uh, people don't want to go to the libertarian event or the conservative event or the whatever. Um, when we started working with professors to form a like a non-political academic group that was like broadly interested in the study of markets and entrepreneurship, uh, but obviously clearly just you know the libertarian leader, was, the SFL leader is just now like part of this more academic sounding group that was sponsored by professors, and that's what really brought in a huge crowd. So I think uh, ending on that note. Um, Relationships are obviously crucial, but another good tactic is just depoliticizing yep. and not using bloated terms. Um, but <clears throat> onto a juicy question, um, <laughs> people. Nice. So I, I think a lot of people always say, or you heard me say, like you know, we we work with the right a lot, we work with conservatives a lot, and I think a lot of that does come from um, the role of libertarianism in America, which is that America is fundamentally a classical liberal country, and to be a conservative until recently meant to embrace, to want to conserve that classical liberal founding. That's why I think there's a natural alliance between the right and libertarians. But also that's controversial, right? A lot of libertarians say, do not work for the conservatives. Maybe the left's actually our friend. So I was wondering what your guys' thought on that is. Uh, 
so now that I'm out of my Doomer era, I apologize <laughs> for that. It's hard. But um, I have... I also have opinions on that. I think it personally depends on what kind of conservatives you have at your university. Like, for instance, uh, Grove City College, which we have an SFL member at and an SFL chapter, a lot of the conservatives there are Hoppians. And if you know, and if you know, no, if you know anything about Hoppians, a lot of them, a lot of them are really extreme in their social conservatism. And they are maybe, even if you agree with them on Austrian economics, maybe they are not the people you want to work with. But if you live in a state like, if you live in a state where there's like, being conservative is more common, you're more likely to find more moderate conservatives. Like, if I live in Kentucky, I'm more likely to find moderate conservatives than I am in a state like, again, like D.C., where the conservative coalition on my campus is a bunch of populists. I think it really does depend on, like, the makeup of, like, the left and the right on your campus. Like, there are a lot of moderate Democrats at AU because, like, the left-wing spectrum is so broad. Like, yeah, we have a lot of socialists, but I attended an event last week, um, just to, honestly, just to get free food, um, was a dinner, uh, hosted by, like, our chapter of AI, uh, AIPAC, which is the America-Israel Political Affairs Committee. Like, I don't, like, the, the Israel-Palestine crisis isn't even something that, like, remotely interests me, but the fact that we have, like, pro-Israel Democrats on a campus that is so left-wing, like, really speaks to, like, the broadness of, like, the liberal spectrum on that campus. And, like, those are people who I am more likely to find common ground with in liking markets, like, uh, liking markets, um, liking free trade, that sort of thing. Because those are going to be the more, you know, traditional center-left Democrats, like, closer to neoliberalism, like, regardless of our opinions on, like, foreign affairs aside. So, like, I really do think it does depend on the makeup of your campus and just sort of putting those feelers out. Like, I know that, for instance, in the UK, Martin, there's not really a big libertarian movement in the UK. No. I mean, it's UKIP, which is awful. It's Lib- UKIP. What about the Lib Dems? The Lib Dems Lib are... Dems are the close... They are the class... Lib Dems are the... Cl- Lib- used to be classical liberals. Now yeah. it's uh, soft Cause it's labor. Because like, it's like, centrist, basically. Oh, yeah, because it's like... Yeah. There are some chill Tories, but recently the Tories have True. been becoming not chill. And let's remember that the, the Tories socially are much more left than... Much yeah. more to the left than the Republican Party is. Yeah. Yeah. Being a, being a conservative in the US is not in any way comparable to being a conservative in the United Kingdom. Yeah. But there are also, like, on some issues like immigration, for example, yeah. the conservatives are much further to the right than in the, in the US. So it's, again, I think it speaks to your point that it very depends on your location, on your social makeup, on the, you know, the, the, lay of the lay of the land, right? Like You have to understand the political spectrum in your particular area in order to move into it. And I, I am always very skeptical of having uh, building alliances based on uh, oh, we are, agree on some level, so we let's just build an alliance across the line in everything. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's very dangerous, and I think the libertarian movement has really shown how dangerous that can yes. be, which uh, can lend us to another topic that we can discuss later. Uh, What's but, the topic? <laughs> you know, like what is happening at the Libertarian Party, for example. Yes. Oh, the Fun Caucus? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my favorite. The Fun uh, Caucus and my favorite uh, branch of the Libertarian Party, the New Hampshire Libertarian Party. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love them. Yeah, mm-hmm, my favorite. New oh. Hampshire is very, very left-wing, so any right-wingers that come out of it are either going to be really chill or really extreme. There's absolutely no in-between. Yeah, I mean, I I live in New York, and I, I have subscribed to the um, young uh, Republicans of New York newsletter, 
and it is the most like if you can imagine uh, Tucker Carlson plus thirty percent. Oh God, <laughs> that's oh. that. Like so you're just so getting an email in the from- same month. They had uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Harry Lake. You're getting an email. <laughs> just getting emails from John Doyle at that point. Dude, yeah. that's the invite, bro. Where's the invite? <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- they they do have a lot of like free drinks events if you're a member. Dude, so drinks and talk about Boston. That's all I need. Yeah, eat tonight. Yeah, yeah. Like, say what you want about Republicans. They love to get shit faced. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. I'll- yeah. That's the one thing I love about conservative and libertarian events. Everyone gets trashed. Everyone gets trashed. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like social conservatism and, <laughs> and anti-social behavior. Well, that's great. Oh, very consistent. Swad, this must be very foreign to <laughs> hearing us go on about this. Ah, uh, even even though I'm just I'm too new into U.S. politics, I can't I can't be that way. That way. <laughs> have not been that way. Just an innocent Azerbaijani soul. <laughs> I mean, I, I believe there there is like a big uh, potential in the U.S. Maybe for the future, not now, but for building coalitions that can represent some common grounds. Holy shit! Yeah, I know. Shit. I know. There is no way that we see today. There is like a grand yeah. canyon between the two. I can see, but it's 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 literally about the timing. I would say, like after. I think maybe after 9-11, things have gotten out of hand, so I would say there is a big difference. Um, 2016 is also a nice year. (laughs) Yeah, but also let's remember that six years ago, uh, whenever there was a a national national convention for any party, there were riots and people getting shot. So, oh, yeah. America. So, yeah. it's not a new... were pretty bad, too. Yeah. The race riots. Yeah. But there is... Every single decade had its fame. So, like, to yeah. like your point, though, I do see in the future, like, I'm from Pennsylvania originally, and we actually have two libertarian parties in Pennsylvania. We have the Libertarian Party, and then we have the Keystone Party, who are, like, libertarian, but, like, actively, one of the big things they have on, like, their sleeve is, like, we're socially progressive libertarians, mm. which is really interesting. Yeah, and if they pull their votes together, they might fit into a room. Yeah. <laughs> but like, they might be able to get a reservation. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But like, it does speak to your point that there are like there is room for this coalition building because I think I think also like people really don't like having labels. People yeah. do not like being weighed down. Like even being called a libertarian is like I don't. I like I'll say I'm a libertarian for like you know, ease of access. Like, I'm not going to be like, well, I'm a Georgist who has, like, classical liberal tendencies and that sort of thing. No one's going to know what that no means. One's, no one listens after you say you're Georgist. No one listens. <laughs> what the hell is that? Um, no, no, even if they know, they stop listening. You're like, oh, you're a Georgist. You're yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's... People don't like labels, and I think... Uh, and I think we're sort of almost evolving past the need for labels, if that makes sense. And and to Suad's point, like, in the future, there is definitely a room for that, like, broad coalition building. Like, I definitely see a lot of room to work with, like, more moderate strains of, like, the Democratic Party in the future because, like, as our political parties are being, like, you know, so spread out and, like, much less uniform in what they believe. Like, the Republican Party has, a, has like, a national platform, the Democratic Party of national platforms. There are a bunch of Democrats and Republicans who absolutely do not subscribe to that at all. Yeah. And especially even with the, in the Libertarian Party, like, such, like, broad segmentation from, like, extreme par- paleo-libertarians to, like, Vermin Supreme, who's, like, almost like an ANCOM, honestly. Vermin Supreme's, like, barely, like, he's not a capitalist, isn't he? 
He, I mean, he, I, he was I'm, going to give us free ponies. So that's true. <laughs> it's very sort of UBI. Sort of UBI. Sort of UBI. You better. I know. I know. I know. I know. Vermin Supreme is a meme, but like, even to like, I believe yeah, the libertarian. I, I, I invited Vermin Supreme to a conference, but then COVID killed it. So no. Oh, but even like, so I believe the libertarian party, like the libertarian party, has like an anarcho-communist caucus. It's in there. It's tiny, but it is there. Yeah. And I think that does speak to like there is potential for growth. Yeah, and I think with what you're saying, especially with the national parties and how they're changing, with how we can see from uh, the demographic changes and how uh, millennials and general Gen Zs uh, as well now, as they so as we age, there is a, a movement towards more conservatism, and uh, people are naturally becoming more re- Republican over time. Uh, statistically, as the median of the of the population, that is not happening to the millennials right now. No. And um, if anything, they're getting more and more left wing. Exactly. And yeah, people are living much longer, but um, I think that the Republicans are going to face a dilemma in like 20 years, where 30 percent of their uh, electorate dies out of old age. Uh, that they are going to have to become more more moderate, and I think that they are really leaving uh, money on the table in uh, big cities, in uh, areas that have been dominated by like 40 plus blue, um, by not embracing uh, economic freedom and social freedom because they have potential, that they have history of that. Yeah. But they are just not doing it because it's now it's all Trump, now it's all populism, now it's all you know uh, immigration bad uh, markets all also sort of bad because straight bad so uh, are we really still capitalists I'm, I'm not that sure and uh, Republicans uh, sorry and uh, Democrats are definitely not going to go in that direction at least not more than they are going in now they I, I think forever Democrats are I mean maybe not forever but for the foreseeable future Democrats are going to have that split where they have uh, in some places more uh, like centrist slash like, uh, like post neoliberal. neoliberal I would say because I think neoliberalism died in 2016. Um, at least for, for now in the form that... All of the neoliberalism is contained in Hillary Clinton. Yes. <laughs> if she dies, it will die. No, no, oh. but, but that has been a huge failure of that wing of, like, the Blue Dogs Democrats, you know, like the Obama and the Clintonian era of, of, of Democrats. And it's hard for them yeah. to, to come back. They yeah. don't. They are not sexy anymore. Yeah. Like the only people who unironically still like Obama are, like, your old, your, like, 45-year-old, like, white suburban mother. Not your mom, my mom. He's hot. I mean, he's hot. He has, he was hot, or like he's <laughs> or like the people who like, or like the people who like unironically owned like I'm with her merch and still own I'm with her merch. That's who that caters to. Now. Hey, but to be honest, that H logo is pretty dumb. That H logo did, or the or the people who own I I unironically almost bought like when Kamala and Biden won. Uh, uh, the the Biden Harris like LGBT pride shirt because mm. I thought it looked nice. Oh, now they have the dark Brandon shirts. They do. They have dark Brandon shirts now. What? Yeah. Dark yeah like you can because now they release the merch for the for the next election and they have dark Brandon. Yeah, shirts. they're dark all of them. Yeah, they need to embr- they're embracing dark Friday. Honestly, it's amazing. I I don't understand. Anyways, um, <laughs> this brings us to the last question, which, which conveniently segues. We're talking about branding now. Um, uh, Brandon, Bra- okay, Korean. <laughs> dark branding. Dark branding. Martin, you you mentioned that Republicans could do well if they embraced markets and social freedoms, right? And that kind of goes to the general point: people just want to be left alone. It's like the, the moderate electorate just wants you to stay out of their life, and they want to live a good life, right? That's kind of like the going saying these days. Um, on that note, 
given that libertarians are promising that but are extremely unpopular and in fact probably frowned upon in many instances do we have a branding problem yes yes <laughs> I, I think that that's general um like i i agree with the sentiment behind or like the general idea behind that but it carries so much more weight uh, and, and like what you can basically by saying i just want to be left alone you ignore all the social issues that are happening and there are just so much things that are happening and the libertarians have done a great job at ignoring them <laughs> like we have, we have so much things that we can do but we're like no it's going to figure you know markets are going to figure itself out right no i mean we are very social much away too. from that and, and and we need to have a much more complex platform. We need to have a stance on permitting. We have to have a stance on housing. We have to have a stance of healthcare. What is the current healthcare plan of the of, of libertarians in the U.S.? I don't think there is any. It's get rid of what is now, and things are going to figure itself out. It's I hey, incredibly, it's hey, poor Americans, buy your own healthcare. Yeah, and and that is not really something that sells to anyone. Uh, to people who are so poor that they're living paycheck to paycheck yeah. on the Affordable Care Act and still can't afford health care. Yeah, with the growing labor unions, yeah. it's, it's not appealing at all. Yeah, and let's remember, like, let's look at what is happening with Social Security right now, how it has been a third rail of, the, of, of politics for a long time, but now it's more than ever with both Republicans and Democrats being like, no, we are not touching it. Not only we are not touching it, we're going to keep expanding it forever if that means that we are going to run ourselves to the ground. And meanwhile, and that is something that is popular among the electorate. And then the uh, libertarians, instead of having some, you know, some conscious effort that, you know, like this is unsustainable, we need to reform it. No, we barge into the room and be like, these are the graphs. Look at these graphs. This you are all idiots. Uh, we are all going to die, and we have to get rid of all of this now. And all of the old people that are voting are like, no, just shut up, leave. And uh, we are never going to break in uh, into the political mainstream if we are going to keep on operating like this. We can't just keep going, um, well, actually, statistics show that we get rid of Social Security. And all the old people are like, what? All the old people, like, who need Social Security to function because they have no retirement savings because the economy tanked are like, what? Could they just show you this 800-slide presentation? Um, actually, <laughs> if you ban guns, um, statistics show that we can't just keep rattling on about statistics. We need to, like, we, we have a, like, we, we do have a serious branding problem. And, like, there's a reason Democrats or Republicans, like, get so popular. Like, pundits like Tucker Carlson get so popular. It's because they know how to talk to people. We, as libertarians, do not know how to talk to people. Like because we don't, we often don't talk. We often don't talk to people. Like this is the first time I'm talking like, to actual people in the past five months. We're like we're, liber we're like memes. We're a meme. We don't know how to talk to people. We don't know how to like. We have our points. We know our points are right, but we don't know how to, or, or that our points like will work, but we don't know how to express that, and that's a serious branding issue. Like. In my opinion, like like when Democrats push for like, or like when socialists push for like expanding Medicare, they're like, this will like be a justice thing. Like people will be able to be helped and we're just, well, actually it will cost this X, Y, Z amount of money and you're an idiot if you want to spend this amount yeah. of money on it. And I think that ties into another point that we are very much against any form of concessions. Yes. Like it's not, it's either my way or the highway. It's never not my way because it never works. But hey... That one time, one day, I'm I'm going to state like let's look at who is the most revered person in the uh, libertarian world that has broken into 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 politics. 
who has been running for president for the past oh, 30 years. Daddy Ron Paul. Exactly. Who is a purist who has never passed a law in his life um, and has been sitting there in, in Congress for years. He has run under the Libertarian Party every single time and definitely isn't a Republican. Yes, definitely. And let's remember, like, if we look at... Let's look at, for example, Ron Swanson, right, as, as a character. The only times where he's been useful was when he was actually active, where he was doing stuff, where he was showing that, hey, employing that libertarian principles as something that was productive. And uh, we have to do that. We have to think about how we can work with others, how we can uh, make concessions to drive the us towards something better. Like We talk a lot about the Overton window, but we never employ it. I also think about the media portrayal. So, so it's it's one way when uh, we are not advertised enough. That's one part. And when you we do uh, we are we are getting advertised. I think usually it's not really uh, presented something uh, next to the two uh, mainstream ideologies. It's like people who are dividing the votes. So, so that's that's what I see from. From the uh, from from let's say outside U.S. perspective, when I read the media coverage, they are like, okay, uh, how do we make sure that more more libertarians vote Democrat or more libertarians vote conservative? So they are like seeing us like splitting force or not mm -hmm. like a homogeneous. Because uh, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's the worst part? Well, when people like from different, let's say, social groups, so social groups that that are hearing about this word, they are like, "Oh, they, these are oligarch supporters. These are like monopoly supporters." That's not true. I That's am a monopoly supporter. Yeah, I, but Ethan is an elitist. Not Pascal. I'm working. I'm working for Google. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, Ethan is has a walking cane, and I. <laughs> I'm an antitrust student at George Mason Law School, and I have a gig with Google this summer. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, also, we, I mean, we also have a big oil shell over here. Yes, we also spot. studied en environmental policy, which is. Yeah, I, have, I have triple leverage stocks in the oil market. <laughs> <laughs> no, I made so much money, but that, that's another top podcast for a different yeah, day. Yeah, please let's not. Ethan, Ethan, how to hustle with Ethan? It's <laughs> like, like Ethan is literally the libertarian meme. <laughs> yeah, like I, I do. You don't live in a shock, though. Yeah, but I get what you're saying, Suad. Like media coverage of us is always as like not as like a th an alternative, but always is this this like like parasitic party that's like sucking votes from Democrats, <laughs> sucking votes from Republicans. Like in the 2020 election, when I was like, I'm gonna vote for Joe Jorgensen, I was simultaneously told I was taking votes from Biden and that I was taking votes from Trump. Base. Like, yeah. <laughs> first of all, base. But, yeah, which base is it? but like, which is it? You know, like. And just like have a candidate that says vote for this person just because you don't like the other people. That's so, Trump, that's what Trump was though. No, no, no. Just be like, no, more explicit. We should have a throwaway <laughs> candidate, like explicitly the throwaway. Well, that's the opposite of what you, we should be doing. We should be a viable political option, not the spoilers. That <laughs> no, I'm, I'm entering my doomer phase. I'm sorry. There's a, there's like, <laughs> I, I infected you with the doomerism. I, I ranted about AU, and now you're like, oh, I'm yeah. a doomer too. All right. But, I guess to want I want to end by posing a counterpoint question would be people would, so the defense from the Mises people and the Ron Paul people would be okay Ron Paul was extreme and he didn't get elected but what he did was start a movement and I think there's some credit to that so I'm wondering what you guys opinion on that because basically the argument is that he went up there and said some crazy stuff some extreme stuff about that, uh, getting out of Iraq war but now there's an anti-war movement 
Uh, I guess that that's probably like a you know like a more defensible example the anti-war stuff. But it's maybe more. Although I did prefer <laughs> with, with his stance on Ukraine. For I think example, we should. I, I much war. rather prefer if he stayed the other way. So I think we should. I think we should start wars everywhere. Actually. Based. <laughs> US like, Empire. Don't, don't get me started. <laughs> That's my other non-libertarian idea. But anyways, um, military-industrial complex. Here we go. Different podcast. <laughs> All right. Um, Mises Cock, New Libertarian Party, New Hampshire specifically, right? They would say that these tweets that we're sending out about like the crazy tweets, right? Like racism doesn't exist. Like black people deserve, you know, should be happy they live. That that kind of stuff. Tweeting slurs. Yes. <laughs> Was that them or Mises that tweeted slurs? Well, probably both. Uh, Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> no, no offense to any of our Mises Caucus listeners. Uh, much offense you. to all our Mises Caucus listeners. <laughs> Get out. Anyways, to end, right, and then for quick responses from all of you would be, they'd say that, one, retweets, publicity, no, no publicity is bad publicity, right? People, you might get a bunch of people that hate you, but you also get exposed to the new people who will look at that and be like, oh, okay, I'm kind of I'm into that, right? And the other part's more of like a principled approach, like some libertarians, and I kind of somewhat fall into this camp, like want to hear the orthodoxy bashed, you know, with a hammer, right? And I'm not saying I agree with the Mises Caucus and that kind of stuff, but I do like it when people are like, oh, actually, you know, like screw the, you know, screw your <laughs> progressive orthodoxy, like actually, you know, this, right? So, I would like to start with and uh, fact that I don't think that the <clears throat> Libertarian Party has been successful before Mises Caucus. However... Ever since Mrs. Caucus has joined, at like before we actually, the Libertarian Party has managed to build its public profile to not be hated. That has been the biggest success of the Libertarian Party. We were just they have shown that we are not awful people, and then Mrs. Caucus comes in, and uh, yeah, it's very hard to not be. To, to associate yourself with with the Liber- with libertarians or with the Libertarian Party, with what is happening on on Twitter, and I I really don't like the idea that any publicity is good publicity because there is very much a thing such a thing as bad publicity. <laughs> of course, it depends on what's your goal. If you want to get elected, then probably you want to be more cautious about how you are going to be uh, representing yourself uh, to, to to the general public. And let's remember, Mr. Caucus has not had much electoral success. It has led less electoral success it has led to less money being pumped into it so yeah you get retweets but retweets don't win elections retweets don't sponsor nor pass policies you have to be in the room you have to get elected and to get elected you have to be electable and i don't <laughs> think that neither the mrs caucus not nor the libertarian party in, uh, uh, oftentimes has been electable before let's remember that gary johnson was booed at when he said that he wouldn't get rid of driver's licenses. What's next? Requiring a license to make toast in my own damn toaster? Yeah, so let's remember that, yeah, you can be electable within that super fringe that is the Libertarian Party, but that makes you less electable oftentimes for the general public. 99.9% of the general public is not against abolishing driver's licenses, and I think we should realize that, that that's not the hill that we can die on. I mean, we can die on it, but that's not going to matter. No one, looks, no one looks at that hill. It's on the side, and we just stab ourselves and hope that someone will listen to us, and no one does. I think it's also, it risks attracting the wrong sort of people. No! I'm no. Mrs. Caucus is attracting wrong sort of people? Like, no. I'm 
believe in freedom of association, and if, like, even if I disagree with you, I'm willing to work with Mrs. you. Mrs. Caucus, that's not like, like, I believe in, in the freedom of association looking at the Nevada uh, That's chapter. true, that's true. Like, my boyfriend is like, I mean, until recently, I have fixed him. He was a diehard communist. And he was like, why can't we just make everything free? And I slowly made him understand why that's not possible. Now he's like a mutualist, which, like, I, will, I respect that. I mean, I always respect him. But, like, when they're tweeting things like racism isn't real and black people should be happy to live here, does that not risk attracting, like, paleoconservatives who are, like, will, who are, like, want to masquerade themselves as libertarians? Like, who are like, yeah, I can use libertarianism as a crutch to just be really, really fucking racist because <laughs> it's socially acceptable now. Yeah. Like... It risks attracting the wrong sort of people, and like as we've seen with like the Republican Party, the wrong sort of people can implode a movement. Yeah, like Trump's southern strategy, for example, yeah. has been a southern very strategy. great idea to yeah. blow up a party. Yeah. Trump's base split the Republican Party in half. It's a mess. If they like, like it's a mess right now. It's even split between like Trump and DeSantis. They're fighting amongst themselves. It's not worth, I think, a few retweets and like getting yelled at by leftists on Twitter and be like, yeah. Yeah, the leftists are so upset that we're saying racist things on Twitter. <laughs> we're totally owning the yeah. It's not worth They may be winning collections, but we got retweets. No ratio does, bitch. Ratio plus no bitches. Like it's not worth it's not worth tanking the small but like mighty movement we already have in favor of like that sort of thing, you know? Like, I hate to be like, uh, we need to slightly push the Overton window, but we genuinely do. We're working at a disadvantage and immediately going, like, balls to the wall with, like, all of the shit the Mises Caucus and, like, New Hampshire party are doing is not gonna work. Like, once we're a giant party who's an official third party, maybe we can have a sector who's just really insane for kicks and giggles. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah, like, we must, you know, like, we will we'll just pick one state. We can keep New Hampshire, yeah, like, Let's keep them keep being being awful. Maybe they'll just beat me. Yeah, they can just be freaks. But like, Let's we not. don't have the space for freaks right now, unfortunately. Yeah. We don't have the space to harbor just people who are just gonna say like virulently racist things. Like, yeah. it's just gonna like guilt by association. Unfortunately, is gonna reflect on all of us. All right. This Swan, you got any uh, concluding thoughts? I think it it's all about the uh, timing. It's all about the period. So. In my vision, in my uh, future 15-year vision, uh, the more and more jobs that are getting, uh, let's say, taken away from humans will create new movement for this uh, libertarian appeal, I believe. Because, you know, today I think the biggest epitome of this divide is labor unions. So, I believe... <laughs> <laughs> yes, bring the time to break down the labor because, because I have <laughs> interested in the transhumanist libertarian <laughs> sector. We have a topic for next episode. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Libertarian case for transhumanism. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> now, I would just like to say that this podcast was sponsored by Joshua Eco. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, just uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know any of these things. Yeah, just just to wrap up. Yeah, I, I agree with what was said. Um, my caveat would be like it's okay to be principled and assertive, but there's a way about going about it, right? So you know, like obviously it's important, especially for many people to boldly assert. You know, the orthodoxy is trash, and you know, like for example, but you have to do it tastefully and like don't piss people off, right? The only time you should piss people off is when you piss off people who are just principally opposed to your idea. So, for mm -hmm. example, if you're just like, 
No, markets are good. You should. I feel like we should unabashedly defend markets, not go full end cap and say, you know, you'll privatize grandma or something. Like, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, like, but we should still unapologetically, you know, defend markets, defend, for example, Western civilization. That's one of the things that I feel like is, is getting pretty popular these days. It's like, especially with the 1619 project and like the whole idea of rewriting Western civilization to be more of like a, like just everything's, everything that's wrong with the world, right? So I think there's certain areas that you can pre, you can tastefully and principally defend what is what might be seen as unpopular, but is in fact just academically and principally good. And if people get pissed off, screw like good, right? Those are your enemies. But at the same time, it doesn't mean go full, you know, start don't start insulting people, don't start saying racial epithets, right? Um, so that would just be like my nuanced opinion on that matter. But just to wrap up, thank you guys so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been an excellent, another excellent banter podcast for those listening. Please keep an eye out for the next episode. Thank you so much.